We're going to look at James chapter 2, verses 14 through 19. Um, if you have your Bibles, you can turn there. If you don't, it'll be on the screen up above. And so every now and then I like to get some uh, participation from the audience, if you will. Sometimes I ask questions, and sometimes they're so simple that uh, my congregation thinks it's a trick. This is not a trick. How many of you stopped at a red light on your way here? None of you. Come on, guys. Like I said, it's not a trick question. How many of you... Okay, let me make it easier. How many of you went through a traffic light on your way here? Stopped or... Okay, you're all thinking like, wait, was it red? Was it green? All right. I, I'm sorry. I made it too hard. I thought it was easy. It was too hard. But as drivers, you know, every now and then we're... How many have accidentally ran a red light? And I'm not trying to get anybody in trouble. I'm not going to call the cops on you yet. Some of us have even done it on purpose, right? We're in a hurry. Ain't no cars coming. But all of us, licensed drivers at least, know that a red light means stop. Basic. Driving 101. If you didn't know it when you stepped into driver's ed, you learned it by the time you were done. That a red light means stop. So knowledge tells us that red means stop. And also as drivers, we believe and we have faith that it is dangerous to keep driving when the light is red. But if we drive through red lights, even though we have the knowledge that it is dangerous, we will inevitably crash and burn. But if we hear the knowledge and we believe that knowledge and then we actually stop at red lights is when that knowledge put into action, we have protected ourselves from danger. Some of you are thinking, okay, I didn't expect to come here for a driving lesson. But living out the word of God is actually no different. Being a laborer for Christ is the same for us. That knowing the word of God is simply not enough. Living out the commands of Christ is essential. Putting them into practice is necessary. Church, this morning, I'm coming to tell you that knowledge is simply not enough. And so let's look at our text this morning, James chapter 2. Verses 14 through 19, which says, What good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can that faith save him? If a brother or a sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to him, Go in peace, be warmed and filled, without giving him the things needed for the body, what good is that? So also by faith itself... If it does not have works, is dead. Verse 18 says, But someone will say, You have faith, and I have works. Show me your faith apart from your works, and I will show you my faith by my works. You believe that God is one, and you do well. But even the demons believe, and they shudder. This morning I want to preach a sermon I've entitled, Knowledge is not enough. Let's pray. Father God, I'm asking, Lord, for your help this morning, God, for your grace and your mercy. God, that you would speak, God, to the hearts and minds of those here. Lord, not by my words or my intellect, God, but by your grace alone. 
I hide behind your cross. In Jesus' name, amen. So first, I want to cover some basic grounds. The relationship of knowledge and belief and how these things go together. Now, this may seem elementary, but bear with me. The definition of the word knowledge is facts, information, and skills acquired by a person through experience or education, the theoretical or practical understanding of a subject. And so in life, we get older and we gain knowledge. There are many different ways that we gain this knowledge from many different sources. I believe that the most common source of knowledge in life is life itself, life experiences. We go through things, we experience things, and we learn from these things. We are brought up by our parents. They teach us things. They show us how to do things. They discipline us in certain ways. We go to school. We receive an education. We are told and taught different things, and then Sometimes we just seek it out. Hey, I want to learn more about this. I want to understand this better. And we live in a day and age where you can learn anything on YouTube. You can Google it and you can find the information you're looking for. But something comes after receiving knowledge, and that is choosing to believe it. The definition of the word believe. To accept something as true. To feel sure of the truth of something. That the knowledge that you've received, you now say, okay, I believe that this knowledge, this information is accurate. But it's interesting to think that as we gain information, we choose whether we believe it or not. The definition of knowledge speaks of facts and information and skills, but we can all agree this morning that there are a lot of things in this world that are portrayed as facts that disagree with other things that are also portrayed as facts. Information that simply is not correct, skills that are maybe wrong or outdated. And as we go about life, we choose what knowledge forms and shapes our beliefs. There's a lot to be said about it. You don't have to look very far in today's world to find the different belief systems that conflict with one another. You think about even in the church versus science. You know, they say those things too don't go together, but God created science. Evolution versus creation. You look at the hot topics of the world today of gender theory and the, the life of a fetus and things like that. And I'm not here this morning to talk about those things, but to simply illustrate the idea that there's a lot of knowledge out out there, and we choose which side we believe. There are clear oppositions in life to what people believe. There are things that you believe that somebody else believes the opposite. People on both sides, they take their knowledge, and they choose which they believe to be accurate. Now, the Bible, that's what we're here to talk about, the Word of God, the Bible is full of knowledge. Many people over the course of time choose to believe what is in the Bible, or they choose to reject it. But the question is, what do they do in that belief? And what does it result in? And this is what James is trying to deal with in our text. This is the issue he's trying to confront believers with, and he's trying to express the issue that knowledge and belief alone are of no benefit. So back to the traffic, traffic lights. 
If I am told that red means stop and it's dangerous to proceed, and I believe that to be true, what good is that knowledge and belief to me if I still blow through every stoplight I see? Does that knowledge protect me? And James says that knowledge and belief without practice is useless. Verse 14 from our text says, What good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but has not works? Can that faith save him? Simply knowing it's dangerous to run red lights does not save you if you run red lights. What good is our understanding of basic traffic laws? What good is our understanding of the Word of God if we do not put it into practice? James is making it clear that if we believe in God, but we have no action behind that belief, then what good is it really? And I believe in this passage, the real mic drop, if you will, is found in verse 19, where he says, You believe that God is one, and you do well. But even the demons believe, and they shudder. What a powerful statement. What a, I mean, this boggles the mind of so many people because we're told time and time again, if you believe in Jesus Christ, you can go to heaven. But what about these demons? They believe theology. I'll tell you, I say it all the time. You need more than theology. You need theology in action. The Word of God tells us how to live, and I say it all the time to my people. I say, listen, you need to know the Word of God because the devil knows it better than you do. The devil knows it far better than we ever will. So if we don't know it, it will be used against us. And so with that said, James tells us that even the demons believe that God is who God truly is. And they shudder. You know, any of us who have been in church long enough, we understand and we know that the, we know the fate of these demons. We know that there's no hope of salvation for them. We know their fate. You find it in Matthew 25, verse 41, is one of the many references we could come to, but I'm coming to this one. Jesus says, Then he will say to those on the left, Depart from me, you cursed, into the eternal fire for the devil, uh, in, sorry, into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. And that's the part I'm focusing on there, the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. Make no mistake. Satan has knowledge of God and his word, perhaps far more than we ever will, at least on this side of eternity. And we see clearly that this is true as we look in scriptures at Matthew chapter 4 and Luke 4, which illustrates the story of Jesus fasting in the desert and Satan comes to tempt him, to try to tempt him to sin. And what does Satan use against Jesus to try to tempt him? Scripture, the Bible, the very Word of God Himself. Knowledge is not enough. And Jesus is actually making that point that we just read in Matthew 25. If we uh, read forward a, a, a few more verses, starting in 41, says he, Then He will say to those on His left, Depart from Me, you cursed, for the eternal fire... Uh, into the eternal fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. He goes on in verse 42 to say, For I was hungry, and you gave me no food. I was thirsty, and you gave me no drink. 
I was a stranger and you did not welcome me, naked and you did not clothe me, sick and in prison and you did not visit me. Then they will also answer saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or naked or sick or in prison and did not minister to you? Then he will answer them saying, truly I say to you, you did not do it to me. Sorry, truly I say to you, as you do it to one of these, you did not do it unto me. And these will go into eternal punishment and the righteous into eternal life. Christ is telling these people, your faith in him must compel you to work, must compel you to serve, must compel you to labor in love. And this is a hard pill to swallow for many Christians today. Because much of the Christian world has perverted God's grace to a point to where we simply just say, if I post the daily verse on Facebook every now and then, then I'm good. If I express my belief in Jesus, then I'm good. But even the demons believe. Jesus tells us in the Gospels that we are free from sin. We are not free to sin. Vodi Bakum says, it amazes me that we believe that God would crush his son, but let us slide. How dare we take that lightly? How could we dare to presume that we can live wild, that we can indulge our flesh and not expect wrath simply because we know the word, simply because we know of the gospel, because we say we believe it with our mouth. Our faith must produce repentance and a desire to advance God's kingdom, or it is dead. It is a dead faith along with our soul. This is what James is saying. And this is also what John the Baptist says in Luke chapter 3, verses 8 through 9. He says, bear fruits in keeping with repentance. And do not begin to say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father, for I tell you, God is able to raise, stones, uh, to raise stones up as children of Abraham. Even now the axe is laid to the root of the trees. And every tree, therefore, that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. John draws a clear picture that fruitless trees are cut down. And our fruitless faith is no saving faith at all. Matthew Henry says, knowledge is vain and fruitless, which is not reduced to practice. J.C. Ryle goes a step further to say, knowledge, is not, uh, knowledge not improved and well employed will only increase our condemnation at the last day. So what does knowledge without practice look like for us? It's simple. We, many of us, you know, we've been in church sometime. We know some of the, you know, things that the Bible says. But if you don't, here's a couple. Knowledge says, you shall have no other gods before God. But yet we prioritize our careers, our relationships, our hobbies, and even sports over the kingdom of God. Knowledge tells us that you shall not murder. And we also know that Jesus says, if you've hated someone in your heart, then you have murdered him in your heart. Yet... We hold grudges and bitterness that drive us into hate. Knowledge tells us that you shall not commit adultery. And we also know that Jesus says if you lust after a woman, 
In your own heart, you have committed adultery in your heart. But yet today, more prevalent than ever, we indulge in porn. We lust after what we see in public and or on TV. And listen, women today are not exempt from this either. Knowledge from the word of God tells us you shall not bear false witness. But yet we are quick to lie and to deceive about someone to get ahead or to get even. Now, these are some of the Ten Commandments, you know, some of the most basic laws in the Bible, right? But what else? Biblical knowledge tells us in Psalm 37, verse 8, it says, Refrain from anger and forsake wrath. Fret not yourselves, it tends only to evil. But something gets us really mad, really upset, we blow right past that red light. Proverbs 3, 9 through 10 says, Honor the Lord with your wealth and with the first fruits of your produce. Then the barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will be bursting with wine. But as soon as the money gets tied, it's the tithes are the first thing to be cut. And we cruise right through that red light. Matthew 7, verse 12, Jesus tells us, So whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also to them, for this is the law of the prophets. Until someone really upsets us or someone we don't like or can't relate to comes across our path and we zoom right on past that red light. You see, we can know these biblical truths. We can understand these commands and so many more. These are just some of them. But what are they if we do not obey them? We can break down the Greek, the Hebrew, the Aramaic. We can be experts in end times prophecies. We can discern and understand parables of Jesus and so much more. But what is our knowledge? What is our faith if we cannot practice the very things that we claim to have faith in? And that's what James is asking. Can that faith save you? How can it? And even Jesus very clear. John 14, 15, he says, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. John 14, 21, Jesus again says, for whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my father and I will love him and manifest myself to him. And again, in John 14, 23, Jesus says again, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word and my father will love him and he will come into him and make our home with him. Jesus is very clear. James is clear. If we don't cherry pick scriptures, the whole Bible is clear that our knowledge, our belief, our faith in God and his word should be met with repentance and followed by action. You can have knowledge of God and still be far from him. Even the demons believe and they shudder. If we want God to move in our life, we must be willing to move within his will. I mean, just imagine. You know, you, you got the Gospels right in Jesus for the time of his ministry. He, he goes and he serves. He loves people. He heals people. He preaches about the kingdom. So many people's lives are changed. He gets uh, crucified. He's resurrected. And then he goes to ascend back into heaven. And what does he tell his disciples? He says, go 
and make disciples of all nations. I have work for you. I have labors for you. Go and make disciples of all nations. And just imagine if his disciples looked at him confused and said, but why? We know who you are. We believe. Why, do we, why should we do more? We don't need to do anything else. Just imagine if that was their response. Where would we be today if that's how they actually lived? No, Jesus said, make disciples because we are to obey his commands. What did he say? We just read it. If you love me, you keep my commandments. Wayne Mack says, knowledge of facts is important. Knowledge of truth is essential. Yet our Lord's concern goes beyond mere head knowledge. He wants us not only to know the truth, but also to obey the truth. He wants us to live the truth, practice the truth, and be conformed and transformed by that truth. Knowledge and belief in action through works is the evidence of our spiritual life. We are called by the word of God, to be like Christ. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 21 says, For to this you have been called because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you might follow in his steps. This is what we believe. We claim to believe the word of God. We have to claim to believe that scripture and many more. How can we believe the word of God, but yet not feel compelled to put it into practice? This is what James is dealing with. That we claim, oh yeah, I got all these memory verses memorized. I got all these things I believe. I believe the word of God. I believe it's true. But James says, okay, now show that belief through the actions that you live in. Our text, again, James 2, verse 14 through 17, James tells us, and I hope that this brings new life to what this text means to you. What good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can that faith save him? If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to him, go in peace, be warmed and filled, without giving him the things Needed for the body. What good is that? So also by faith itself. If it does not have works. Is dead. James is telling us. He's saying you have faith. But not works. The word of God clearly states. That you should follow Christ's example. That you should follow his commandment. That you should love people the way he did. So if you have faith. But not works. What do you actually have? How can that faith lacking work save you? If you have the resources, you have the knowledge, you have the time and the availability uh, to you to serve as Christ did and as the word of God clearly commands us to, but you don't do it, how can that faith save you? First Peter, as I just read, Christ suffered for you, leaving an example so that you might follow in his footsteps. I believe the word of God. But I do not practice it. Think about this. The life of Christ is full of works. The life of Christ was a life of servitude. 
Think about this. The king of kings, the creator of the universe, came down and lived a life of service, of labor for his fellow brother and sister so that we could follow his example. And he has called us to do the same. I say this frequently to to my church. One of the greatest miracles in the modern church is the church itself functioning as God has commanded it to. Galatians 6 verse 2 says, Bear one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law, and so fulfills the law of Christ. We see someone in the church struggling, and we have resources to help them, but we just say, I'll pray for you. And I'm not discounting prayer at all. But the Word of God clearly says we are called to bear the burdens of one another. It happened recently in our church. Someone experienced a sudden and unfortunate monetary loss. A fair amount of money. No one person in this small church had that kind of money to help them, but by the grace of God, several people in the congregation felt the need to shoulder this burden with them. Each gave as the Holy Spirit led them, and it so happened that the exact amount of money lost was given back to them. Listen, we can't cop out with spiritual catchphrases when we possess what is needed by those in need right before us. As James says, and I will show you my faith by my works. My faith says that Jesus came and lived a life of a servant and he laid down his life so that I could have eternal life. My faith says that I am to follow in his footsteps. My faith says that I am to love like he loved. My faith says that I am to serve like he served. My faith says that I am to give like he gave. And I didn't make this up. It's in the Bible. So if our faith says that, if our knowledge of the word of God says that, and we say that we believe it, but we are not doing it, can that faith really save us? Knowledge of scripture, knowledge of Jesus, knowledge of prophecy, knowledge of theology, it is not enough. Knowledge is not enough. And so it's very simple. We possess the knowledge as daily drivers that it's dangerous for us to run red lights. But if we continually run red lights, that knowledge will not keep us safe. And I will eventually get sideswiped by a semi-truck and pay the ultimate price. And if you possess the knowledge and believe what the Bible says about you and your sin and how you should treat other people and how you should live this life, but you continually live a life unrepentant of your sin, you will eventually get sideswiped by your sin. And let me tell you, it hits a lot harder than an 18-wheeler. All throughout Scripture is evidence time and time again of how crucial it is that we walk the walk of our faith, not simply saying with our mouth that we believe the word of God is true, but living with our life that the word of God has promises in it, that if we live out these promises, that God will do things. 
You think about many different heroes throughout the Bible. Noah was commanded and he obeyed. Abraham was commanded and he walked the walk. Moses was commanded and he did what God said. Gideon, David, Isaiah, Elijah, John the Baptist, disciples, and Paul, just to name a few. There's far more than that. Men and women who were commanded and called by God, and they didn't simply say, God, I believe your word, and that you can do those things, and then go back home and binge watch Netflix all day. They said, God, I believe your word. I believe the promises that you're speaking into my life, and now I'm going to walk the walk. I hear your word, and now I'm going to live your word. None of these men, we'd never know their name if all they did was hear the promises of God and go back home. The mark of these people's lives is their faith in God followed by their obedience to God through their works that God called them to. And though this text is oftentimes misunderstood and very frequently avoided altogether, James is not saying that we are saved by our works. He's not saying that at all. He's saying that works is evidence of our salvation. It is not our salvation. If I truly believe that stopping at red lights is life-saving knowledge, then I'm going to stop at red lights, even if I'm in a hurry. If I truly believe that Jesus Christ died so that I could be forgiven of my sins, that I could have a new life, and that the Word of God calls me to repent of my sins and to live differently because of that, then I am going to live differently. This is going to be evidence of the salvation I've already received. But don't be mistaken. Just like our knowledge, our works will never be enough to give us salvation. Works, laboring, that's just our pulse. It's the signs of life within us. A life that is given by Christ and Christ alone. We cannot earn it. It was the miracle work on the cross Jesus Christ shedding his blood, his perfect, flawless blood for imperfect people like you and I. That brings us salvation. And when we begin to grasp that, when we begin to understand that, no matter how hard we try, it is the blood of Jesus Christ that we so desperately need, that he so freely gave to you and I is when we respond in a way that we cannot help but repent. We cannot help but labor for him in this new life that he has given us. Because a genuine heart that has been saved by Jesus Christ responds in a way that cannot help but change the way we have been living. 2 Corinthians 5.17, For we are a new creation in Christ. The old is dead and gone. This is what 
James is talking about. This is what James is trying to tell you and I, that we cannot simply say, yeah, I know the Bible. Yeah, I've read it cover to cover. Yeah, I got like a hundred verses memorized, but are you living them? Are you practicing them? Are you laboring for God's kingdom? Because if you're not, then what good is that knowledge doing? You're just simply blowing through red light after red light until eventually you're going to get caught in an intersection and you didn't heed to the knowledge that you claim to have. I pray that you don't. I pray that we begin to understand that it is the grace of Christ, the grace of God in our lives that compel us to labor, to work, that our lives can be changed by what he did for us on that cross. Let's bow our heads. Let's close our eyes.